Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia, and today we have Alex Leishman. He's the founder and CEO of River. River is our proud sponsor, so we want to establish that right away and get into a conversation about Bitcoin and why Alex built River and really explain what he built over there and his mission to serve customers. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be great to be here. So uh, first, tell us about yourself. What's your background? How did you find Bitcoin? And then uh, you can get right into why did you start River? So my Bitcoin journey, journey started about 11 years ago or so. Uh, I was always very interested in technology. I was an engineering student as an undergrad, but also went down the economics rabbit hole and eventually read this paper called The Denationalization of Money by Friedrich Hayek. And my eyes were opened to this idea that money didn't have to be controlled by a government. That really resonated with my ethos, with the sorts of things that I have I had come to believe and the values I grew up in, I grew up with in my family. In fact, my great grandfather had his gold confiscated in Executive Order 6102 by, by FDR. So uh, the, the, these ideas really resonated with me. I decided I wanted to create my own money uh, using this idea that the government couldn't control commodity-backed money or something like that. I was, I was young. I couldn't really quite figure it out. And then I came across Bitcoin, taking a class on Coursera uh, taught by Balaji Srinivasan. Uh, and uh, I immediately sort of just, once I understood how it worked and convinced myself that it did work, the light bulb went off and I was obsessed and realized this was going to completely change the world. And so in, in 2013, I moved to San Francisco to pursue a career as a Bitcoin engineer and have largely been doing that ever since. Most of my career has been, I would say, building up to starting River, uh, building the skills on the software engineering side, working in the investment on the investment side, um, which set me up to raise capital to start River four and a half years ago. And the idea behind River is to build a Bitcoin financial institution that focuses on accelerating Bitcoin's adoption as a store of value and a medium of exchange around the world. And to do that, we have three main verticals we focus on. We focus on personal, so the consumer side. We focus on business and the accelerating the adoption of Bitcoin in the business world and payments. Um, and we have a Lightning Network payments infrastructure business as well. So those are the three verticals that we focus in. We're really more software design and product people than we are finance people. Um, because I truly believe Bitcoin is really a great definancialization in many ways. Um, and so uh, that's what we do. The Bitcoin layer is sponsored by River. Make sure to check out river.com today or the link below in the description. River is our preferred place to purchase Bitcoin. Now, when you're buying Bitcoin, guys, there are several considerations. Number one, should I be using an exchange? Is the exchange custodying their own Bitcoin? Is the exchange using platforms to custody that we don't know? Is the exchange leveraging its Bitcoin for other purposes? Well, with River, we know that River does not use leverage of any kind. River also uses its own multi-sig solution so that your Bitcoin are not held by anybody else. 
So it's a very important thing to understand about what River offers. Now, River also has Lightning Network integration and a lot of other really exciting features. Go check out river.com today. Talk about the decision to go with a uh, self-custody multi-sig solution. It's something we talk about as very attractive and unique to River's offering. Uh, of course, we can go into why that's different than using a custodian, but instead just talk to us about what you guys did and share as much and even get technical if you can with what you decided to do from a multi-sig perspective to protect your customers' funds. Great question. So uh, we had a few options when starting River on how to structure the custody, the infrastructure, and just the business in general from a technology and regulatory perspective. There were a few options. One was to outsource all of the custody and licensure to a third party where and build basically a wrapper on top of that. Um, an example of that would have been like a prime trust, which just went bust, which we could talk about if we want to. Um, the other option was to, uh, the other end of the spectrum was never touch anyone's Bitcoin and make it fully non-custodial um, so that our customers had to custody their own Bitcoin. They, they weren't allowed to leave it with us. And then the middle solution, which we decided to go with was do the hard work of getting all the licenses ourselves and building our own custody system so that we could have full control over the Bitcoin, give our customers a safe place to park their Bitcoin if they wanted to, but make sure that they can take that Bitcoin out at any time and that it's always safe um, and encourage them to take that Bitcoin out uh, if they feel comfortable with that. So um, when we started the company, we were always a Bitcoin only company. Bitcoin the idea was that by focusing on Bitcoin, we can accomplish and unlock new products and business lines that the multi-coin companies couldn't. So one of the luxuries that afforded us was that our cold storage, our custody system, could be built for only Bitcoin, which meant that um, we could leverage Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties because we didn't have to build our custody system to work with dozens of different altcoins. Most altcoins, like Ethereum uh, and others, don't support multi-sig natively on the blockchain. So, but, but because we're Bitcoin only, that simplicity was a huge win here. And so we've been able to have a very sleep at night custody setup at River because we can lean on this native multi-signature tooling that Bitcoin has to require you know, a, a threshold of signers to move any Bitcoin out of cold storage into our hot wallet. And for those of you who aren't familiar, cold storage is this is where sort of where we keep the bulk of customers' deposits. It's totally offline. The keys never touch a computer. Um, and uh, even if a hacker totally hacked all of our servers and everything like that, they wouldn't be able to actually get those Bitcoin. Um, and then we have a hot wallet, which is the online wallet that's, that satisfies the on-demand user withdrawals uh, uh, you know, from, from, from the web system when somebody does withdraw. And that gets topped up if we ever need to. Um, from our cold storage. Now, Alex, you've been in Bitcoin 11 years, so we are big history buffs here at the Bitcoin layer. So we always love to get the perspective from people that have been around for a really long time in Bitcoin. So if you can just share with us a little bit about um, when multi-sig happened in Bitcoin, 
what that was like for you as a, a user and an observer, how it changed Bitcoin to you. And, you know, for the audience sake, just so they understand, Bitcoin started with only signals, single signature addresses and then at a later point added multisig. Um, so talk to us about maybe the origins of multisig and briefly what, what that meant to you from a products perspective or a technical perspective. Yeah, you know, I think I really got into Bitcoin sort of at the advent of the P2SH sort of uh, pay to script hash innovation, which was this idea that you could um, encode the rules of a Bitcoin address in the, in the address itself, and you could just send Bitcoin there, and um, the sender doesn't have to worry about the complexity of the logic encumbering those Bitcoin. Um, one of the things that unlocked was this way to easily do multi-sig. And that was, I think, a big innovation in early on at the institutional level. Because, and, and I would say it still is. Um, multi-sig, I would say, is most useful for institutions where you have multiple parties that need to sign off on something or you want some sort of redundancy, whether it's from an availability perspective of the keys or, um, or it's from an in internal controls perspective. And so well, uh, the first company to really lean into that uh, was, was BitGo. Um, they were the first to really say, let's make this super easy for people. We can, we can build a software service that makes it easy for individuals and businesses to set up a multi-sig. We're just a software provider um, and, and we're, make, we're making facilitating this easy. If I recall correctly, BitGo initially launched, focused equally on sort of consumers and businesses, and then really ended up at the end of the day leaning heavily on the business side of things because that's really where the market opportunity was. And, and in many ways still is for multi-sig. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think it definitely helped level up the security of Bitcoin and institutions substantially. And talk to us about as well, you know, going back into the early days of Bitcoin, the cypherpunk side of things. So you guys have a tremendous amount of educational material on River uh, on the website. I, per I particularly love the Byzantine generals problem graphic and explanation that you guys have. It really goes back into the foundation of Bitcoin and goes back into uh, the cypherpunk movement. So how do you explain how do you explain satoshi to people today what is the what is the approach i mean because we're going now from somewhere in the 100 million user range when it comes to bitcoin bitcoin adjacent products and we're heading to 500 million and a billion here over the next several years that's the thesis i know it's yours it's why you're in the business it's why we're in the business as well this adoption cycle is something we want to be part of. Now, the story of Satoshi, the cypherpunk movement, and the origins, how do you frame that today to people? And how simple How simple do you want it, want it to be when you introduce it to people? Or how complex do you want that ex explanation to be? Yeah, so, you know, the cypherpunk movement started definitely before my time. Um, uh, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s, sort of the, the, the generation above me, really, um, the guys building that early internet and pushing for cryptography and fighting some of those fights around uh, 
uh, like Phil Zimmerman, who uh, was the creator of PGP, uh, he had he had a legal battle with the U.S. government in the '90s about whether or not um, encryption uh, in, in, encryption mathematics uh, should be classified as a um, as a um, munition. national security yeah. uh, munition, uh, and, and and whether exporting that violated ITAR and uh, and and was sort of like a, a federal offense. Um, and so those were like kind of some of these early cypherpunk battles pushing for this world where, um, and, and it had a very wide range of people, right? Um, everyone from Julian Assange to Phil Zimmerman, um, there's a lot of sort of politics intertwined in this. And, uh, and, and out of this group of people came a lot of very interesting ideas and innovations that, that pushed for security and self-sovereignty as the internet came of age. There was a holy grail that people chased as they were working in the early internet that had been dreamed of, which was this idea of censorship-resistant uh, anonymous digital money. And that was something that people tried to take cracks at, never really quite landed. Um, David Chaum uh, you know, proposed this, this e-cash uh, there was uh, BitGold. There were other ideas out there, but they never quite nailed it. No one quite put all the pieces together. And then one day, Satoshi, uh, who nobody knew who is, is pseudonymous, nobody knows who that is, uh, came out of the woodwork and said, I've been working on this idea. Um, I had to write the code before I wrote the paper to convince myself this worked. He didn't invent any new cryptography. There's no new cryptographic primitive. He's not a, you know, um, he's not, he didn't, he didn't have some mathematical breakthrough. Uh, he pieced the right ideas together in a way nobody had before to create this new system that, that worked. And, um, and in the early days, very few people cared. A lot of people, most people were very, very skeptical and, that is no longer the case. The Bitcoin layer is sponsored by Foundation Devices. Now, we all have talked about the dangers of letting your coins stay on an exchange. The importance of withdrawing your Bitcoin to self-custody is really part of understanding what Bitcoin is all about in the first place. Bitcoin is about avoiding centralized financial institutions. And with Foundation Devices, we are showing you guys an amazing device. It's called the Passport. And with the Passport, you can get your coins off of exchanges into custody with this beautiful, easy-to-use device. They also have an onboarding service that will help you get settled with your device, get comfortable with it. Get to understand what it is like to actually take custody of your Bitcoin. So check out foundationdevices.com today and make sure to pick up a passport and use the promo code BitcoinLayer for $10 off your device. And it makes sense from a historical perspective to you that this type of introduction had to be done under an alias. And that that's part of the core of my question here is that the why the alias part needs us needs a general consensus explanation here and i think that 
can be. I know it's nuanced, but with for, from somebody that's been in the industry from almost the beginning of Bitcoin itself, I think that your perspective is important when we explain because a lot of people that are new to Bitcoin wa are watching this channel and people that don't understand cryptography at all and why the innovation of cryptography was simply one of the or s a few of the building blocks of Bitcoin itself. Um, yeah, so um, so to touch on the, the anonymous nature of Satoshi, I think early on, I think a lot of people sort of kind of wondered, well, why is he anonymous? I mean, it was a cypherpunk world, so no one really questioned that. That wasn't that weird to try to be anonymous online. That was part of the ethos. But at the same time, I don't think it was as obvious as it is today about how smart of a move that was. Satoshi clearly thought this was going to be a big deal and had thought it through far enough ahead of time to realize that if he wasn't anonymous, he would be creating a lot of problems for himself and for Bitcoin. Um, and we see the genius of that move more and more every year that goes by. Bitcoin doesn't have a human creator. It doesn't have this flawed um, individual attached to it. Uh, by, by staying anonymous, by staying hidden, he was able to um, free Bitcoin from the, from the shackles of flawed humanity and elevate it to this other plane. Um, and, and I think that it was, it was incredible foresight, um, incredible foresight to, to, to do that. Um, and the timing of it was also right. You know, cryptography really went through a phase of rapid progression over the decades leading up to the 2000s. Um, and a lot of the early cryptographic primitives were, were pretty bad. Uh, they're, they're, they're very broken now. A lot of the early hashing algorithms, a lot of the early encryption algorithms like DES, um, uh, a lot of those early things were, were really sort of they, they worked for a few years, and, but they were learning blocks, and they really got us to the point where we could have more permanent, long-term cryptographic primitives that we are more confident won't just be cracked in the next few years. So all the sort of pieces just converged around the right time from the technology point of view, the cryptography, the um, sort of computer technology perspective, and then at the same time, economically, uh, we had this inflection point, too, with the 2008 crisis, um, really the perfect convergence of both technology and economic chaos, uh, and out of that, Bitcoin was born. So it's almost weirdly, there's like a, it almost feels prophetical, it almost feels like prophetic that this happened. And that's something that makes Bitcoin very special. Absolutely. And I wanted to give the audience an opportunity to hear some of those words when you're talking about why it's special it it is something prophetic to see that not having the creator or to understand the impact of what the innovation might have on people and to understand that impact beforehand is something special it can be characterized with words like prophetic and it's it is okay to embrace that side of Bitcoin as we evolve here into year 15 and beyond. Um, Alex, talk to us now about Lightning. 
uh, Lightning Network, as a teacher, someone who's now teaching Bitcoin in a, in a more formal setting, I now have started to use Lightning Network in the first, basically in the core material of the class where the class is, here's what Bitcoin is. And here's a, you know, a 101 level to Bitcoin and then a, an, a, a look into the advanced of Bitcoin. And even within that 101, there is Lightning Network. And by the way, uh, it, this is, you know, long before we entered a sponsorship agreement, but I, I was using the Lightning Network fourth largest lightning network node paper that you guys published uh, for both graphics and information and illustrate for illustrative purposes on what lightning network is it's a very helpful paper i think that people should go check that out if they're looking for an intro to uh, lightning network lightning network in infrastructure or even just what river's doing with lightning network so long-winded but tell us about how Lightning fits into your company, why you guys decided to integrate it, when you decided, uh, what it's like having one of the most, let's just say largest nodes, one of the largest nodes in the network. I, w I don't want to say most important because that's probably not the best description for what you guys are. You guys have a large node and uh, you're trying to make that node better every day, I'm sure. Yeah, we do have a large node. I. I'm biased, but I do think it's also pretty important. Um, but uh, uh, Lightning has always been part of our journey at River. We started River in 2019, and as a Bitcoin-only company, uh, we had the ability to focus on the cool, cutting-edge stuff with Bitcoin, uh, and, and that's what we still do. That was part of the thesis of the company. So when we launched River, Lightning was still very much in its infancy. It was very beta, uh, but we said, you know what? Let's add it. Let's 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 allow uh, customers or clients on River with accounts to not just deposit and withdraw on on chain, but also to deposit and withdraw on the Lightning Network. Let's make that easy for people. And so we were some of the early people thinking about the right UI there, um, having a unified uh, send and receive flow for Bitcoin and Lightning. It wasn't these two separate assets. It was all your Bitcoin balance that could be transacted on these different rails. Um, one was like sending a wire, one was like sending a Venmo payment, um, but you're still sending dollars either way. And uh, out of that initial lightning functionality, we built up our lightning infrastructure as we scaled. It got bigger and bigger. We were processing more and more transactions. And eventually we had other companies asking if they could use our lightning infrastructure to add lightning payments to their apps. Because running a Lightning node and doing this at scale reliably and securely is actually quite a lot of work, um, especially if you're a financial institution and you have all these policies you need to follow. You get audited. Um, you know, explaining Lightning to auditors is like a you know, it's a disaster. Um, and so we realized, well, we could also just make this easy for other businesses. This would help accelerate the adoption of Bitcoin. That was our mission. And um, so what we did was we sort of we spun that infrastructure out into a separate product line and uh, started onboarding new customers. One of our, one of our uh, customers for our Lightning Network infrastructure business is the government of El Salvador, actually. We are the um, Lightning backend for the Chivo wallet in El Salvador. We have a growing number of exchanges who are building on us. 
public companies. I uh, can't say yet, but hopefully we can announce that soon. And um, we're seeing a lot of growth in that business, and we're very excited to help uh, help help bring lightning to other exchanges and other fintech apps around the world because we truly see that as necessary for unlocking Bitcoin as truly becoming a widespread current transactional currency and medium of exchange. Tell us about what can you share about the adoption in El Salvador or let's say traffic or the usage of the network in terms of how's it going over there and is that platform being used by the people? So yes, it's definitely being used. I am not, I'm not allowed to speak to specific numbers, but um, things are going very smoothly. Uh, there is certainly, you know, I think if anyone's visited El Salvador, they can see that um, uh, you can use Bitcoin now uh, at any major business. Um, but there also is this react, there is this inertia to dollars. Most people in El Salvador still use dollars day to day. It's like, uh, you know, it's, I don't think there was any expectation that Bitcoin would just replace dollars as the primary currency overnight. Um, there's still a long ways to go until it's, until it's at that level. But nonetheless, there's uh, incredibly promising traction and um, I've been very excited to, to, to see how it's gone. Excellent. And Alex, look ahead to Bitcoin, uh, the technology evolution. What are you most excited about? What are you what are you guys working on from a technical perspective? Or is it perhaps just this lightning adoption wave and making lightning work better and uh, more widespread? Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of promise to sort of this next wave of lightning. Um, we're focused on, so, so like what I'm most excited about is the adoption at the regional level. Um, all these regional exchanges around the world are, are have built world-class fiat on-ramps into Bitcoin or fiat off-ramps. And I see Lightning is finally connecting all of these players. Um, and I think that that's going to unlock a huge sort of, uh, remove a lot of friction for money to flow around the world. Um, so that's one trend I'm very interested in. Um, I'm also very interested in seeing how it plays out with, uh, I, I think to a smaller degree, I think there's smaller promise here in the short term, which is like on the AI side of things. Um, there's a lot of AI tooling being built. A lot of these AI companies are facing a lot of fraud issues. People using credit cards to buy, you know, GPUs or use use their LLMs. Um, there's huge benefits here uh, for using Bitcoin, as we all know. And we so what's cool is we have this clear sort of opportunity to onboard this new industry uh, to the to see the light here. Um, so uh, you know we're, we're focused on sort of a few verticals like this. So like regional fintechs and exchanges, um, people building sort of new types of software like AI, um, and then a longer tail of all sorts of use cases. Excellent. Yes, I think that in terms of exchanges around the world, having their own Lightning Network node and a Bitcoin native on-ramp, off-ramp that uses Lightning Network and having that multiply throughout the network has a tremendous ability to enable adoption and usage of net, of Bitcoin and the flow of Bitcoin itself around the world. Alex Leishman, River founder and CEO, thank you so much for joining us today at the Bitcoin Layer. We hope to have you back. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Special thanks to River for sponsoring this channel. 
purchase Bitcoin without any fees when you use River's DCA feature. River has become our trusted source of accessing the Bitcoin market because they don't use any third-party custodians. This is a very, very important thing to understand. River is not using another company to store the Bitcoin for them. They have their own multi-signature solutions, which means that they have designed their own way to make sure nobody else has responsibility for the Bitcoin for the time that you have River hold your Bitcoin for you on their platform once you have purchased it. So go check out river.com today. Thanks for sticking with us as always at the Bitcoin layer. Subscribe to our channel. Subscribe to our Substack at the bitcoinlayer.substack.com so that you can follow along our latest research and analysis.